is the one that works on the heart. He just uses us. He just uses us. And um, as we begin this morning, we'll go to the Father in prayer. And I'm also, I had a special prayer request for Kim Colwell. So we're going to lift her up in prayer this morning as, as well as all of us in the Word of God as we get ready to begin. And I'll let you say your own prayer for a moment and then I'll break in and close us out. Father, as we prepare to open up the most important thing, which is your word, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from your mouth. And Father, as we get ready to open up the bread of life, we pray for each and every individual that's a member of this body of Christ. And Pray especially for Kim as she's going through a lot of problems, Father, not only with a loss, but also with her health and just with everything. Father, when things seem to be unbearable, that's when you step in. And we pray, Father, that you will step in and that you will heal and help and guide. I pray that the Holy Spirit will be here this morning, Father. To help us to understand your holy and divine word. These presents that you've given us that we're about to open. They're wonderful. I pray that our eyes of understanding and our ears to hear will be open for them father. And it will edify our life going forward. Praise you for what you're about to do with your word father through us. It's in your son's blessed name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me. You know, the year's almost gone, isn't it? Can you believe that this is the last Lord's Day before the new year? At the end, we're going to be able to say, hey, I ain't going to see you till next year. Well, I'm still working over Sarah's prayer. The year is almost over. Do you all have a happy Christmas this last week? You gave some presents. You got some presents. Well, guess what? You ain't done. Because now we've gathered here together as a family of God to see some presents that he's left for us to open up. These are wonderful ones. How many do New Year's resolutions with the New Year's resolution coming? Do you say, I want to be a better this, or I want to do that, or I want to lose this, or I want to get that? Yeah. Well, how about we make some resolutions spiritually for the coming year? It's going to be a new year and a new you. Let's make some spiritual. Instead of calling them resolutions, let's just call them plans. We're going to do some planning for the new year. And I'm hoping these things will motivate us in some goals that we're going to have. So as we look in the book of Ephesians, I want to begin at verse 11 up there. I'm going to read a portion of it now and study it, and then we're going to read the rest of it. New year, a new you. 
in Christ. Beginning at verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Oh, <laughs> folks, this is a powerful section of Scripture. And let's unfold what it means so that we get a chance to have it, okay? What is the Holy Spirit trying to reveal here to us? Let's go back to verse 11 then. Let's start there. In Him. You know what that means? That's referring to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk a bunch today about the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that power is what puts us in Him. Because it was there Peter began on that first day in Acts chapter 2 when the first gospel sermon came. It was based around the faith in the resurrection of the Lord and Savior. And he told him, he said, This one who you crucified and put on the cross, this one God raised up again and brought him up and now has exalted him to the right hand of power. He is both Lord and Christ. And the men and brethren were so pricked in their heart, they said, what shall we do? And he said, repent. And you know what repent is? Repent is changing your mind. You didn't believe that he was, so you crucified him. Now you've heard the truth. And since you know the truth, change your mind about him. Believe in him and who he is. And repent and be baptized Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He's the promise. We're going to uncover what that means because it says... In Christ, in Him, He gave His life in exchange for mine so that I might have something. And He says, because you have believed the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ and you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that you heard, which is Romans chapter 10. That form of doctrine is Romans chapter 6, just what Peter was preaching. And he said, Shall we continue in sin so that God's grace may abound? And it says, God forbid. Know ye not that as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You are in Christ. So when this starts off in Him, that's what it's talking about. You've died to self. You are now in Christ. You are a part of His life. You are conformed to that doctrine. And you've got some gifts because you chose to open that present. Some of those, if, if you're there in Ephesians chapter 1, look back up there to verse 3 at some of these things you have. Every spiritual blessing that heaven affords is yours. 
every spiritual blessing that heaven affords. How about you are now holy and blameless before God in verse 4. How about you've become now adopted as sons, as children of God in verse 5 to himself. Accepted by the Father, verse 6. You've been redeemed by his blood and given forgiveness of sins. Verse 7, those are benefits, those are blessings, those are gifts that you have because you are in Christ Jesus. They are actual and they are reality and they are ours today. You know what, it doesn't end there. That's just the beginning, that's like the appetizer. Look what it's going to talk about that we've also obtained. You need something else to keep you faithful and to keep you plugged in and motivated to stay in Christ. Look at this, verse 11. In Christ we also obtained something. An inheritance. Yes, an inheritance that says it was predetermined by the plan and the will of God for you that you would have that. An inheritance, a gift to be with Him Forever with everlasting life. Paul says we first trusted in this plan and we presented it to you. And now you also are trusting in Christ and in him. And then he says this. Now pay close attention because it's not just to the Ephesians. This is to us as well today. It's written for our benefit it says. It says this of the first importance is The word of God after you heard the word of truth. And folks, I will never, ever stop telling you week after week that the most important thing for your life and for your happiness and your benefit in this life is the word of God and knowing it and understanding it. There is nothing more important To bring you to everlasting life. But also happiness in this life. And he says that this process is understanding the word of God. Look at verse 13. In him, in Jesus, you and I having heard the truth. There's a process that God has. He's given us his word. That's his communication to us. When you hear the word, it develops faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing By the word of God. So faith is knowing the word of God. You heard the word of truth. Once you've heard it. Then you begin. It says now also you heard the truth. But you have believed the truth. And the word for believe isn't just to hope. Hope has come down to us as if. Well I hope so. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's it's 50-50 shot isn't it? That's what. Hope and faith kind of comes down to today. Are you saved? I hope so. No, he says faith. This word faith, pistuo, means something that is true and definite and you believe in it. It's something that when you say jump and I'll catch you, your five-year-old believes that you will, so he jumps. That's what faith is. Faith is I believe it's true and it's going to change my life and I'll do what the one in charge asked me to do. That's what this faith is. He says, you heard the word and you have believed that word. Now, it's a strong word. It's a trust word is what it is. And he says this. 
And I already preached that about Acts chapter 2 with Paul. What shall we do? This gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at what we got. Verse 13. When you trusted, when you heard the good news about your salvation. You know what that is? Good news is gospel. The death, burial, resurrection of Christ. When you begin to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you trust that that is what's going to happen to me as well in Christ. That faith turns into something. A promise. You get that gift of the Holy Spirit that Peter says when he said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That gift is he comes and seals you whenever you make that commitment to him. When you say, yes, I believe and I trust and I make that leap of faith, he says, I seal you with my Holy Spirit of promise by obeying that. Now, what's that mean? It means it says here that that is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, that's a big deal, isn't it? That's a big deal to say that God is going to keep his word and he seals us with that. That's used two other times. If, if you wrote down the Berean chapters, I think you might have one of them. But Ephesians 4.30 and 2 Corinthians 1.22 both use this sealing of the Holy Spirit for our day of redemption until we cash it in. What, what's sealing mean? I'm glad you asked, because without knowledge we don't know, right? What's it means that he sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise? Let's take a look at Daniel. Daniel gives us an idea of what that means. In Daniel chapter 6, something happened. The people that didn't like Daniel made a decree. They knew he prayed three times every day towards Jerusalem. So they wanted to trap him, and they went to the king and said... For th- you ought to sign a decree that everybody has to pray only to you. And if someone prays to an, any other God, even the true God, except for you, in that 30 days, let him be put into the lion's den. King signs the decree. It says in chapter 6, when Daniel heard that the king had signed a decree, you know what he did? He went up to his room opened his windows, and he began to pray to his God. Because I would rather obey God rather than men, Daniel said. So he prayed, and the detractors went and told the king. The king had to fulfill his word, so you know what he did? They put him in the lion's den. And the lion's den isn't a cave in the side of a hill like you think. This is something underground. This is where these lions were kept. They used to have cisterns and wells, and it's shaped like a test tube where you had the downward, and then the bottom part was open. And they would put these lions down in the bottom, and what they did is they would drop you down into the lion's lair. The king said, I have to obey this, Daniel. I hope your God pulls you out of it. They put him in the den They rolled a stone over that little hole that shut the top up. And it says they sealed it with a seal. And the king and all of his lords that had made that decree signed it with their rings. 
The seal was what? It says in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 17 that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So a seal says, I have decreed it and signed it and it's not going to be changed. I am the highest power there is as king and when I seal it, it is so. So when... We, through faith, are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise unto the day of redemption. What does that mean? The highest power in the land decreed it. And it is so. And it is so because he gave us that spirit, his seal, that this is authentic, that it's true, and I am the one that performs it. No one else has the right the power, or the authority to change what I've put in place. So when you are in Christ and you have believed and you have trusted and you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, you receive that gift. Open your gift. Be assured that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise into that day. Okay, another thing about sealing. Jeremiah The book of Jeremiah chapter 32. Something happens there. God tells Jeremiah that Hamanel, your your cousin, is going to come to you and want you to buy the land. I'm getting his plot of land. I am getting ready to turn Judah over to Babylon. And for a while, this land is going to be desolate. It's going to be useless and none of you will have possession of it. But here's what I want you to do. Because I am going to bring my people back out of that captivity. And they will again possess this land. So as an act of faith that I am going to do what I'm going to do. I want you to buy that plot of land, Jeremiah. I want you to buy that plot of land. So that the people will know that I keep my promises. And so it says that Jeremiah went and he bought the land and he and Hamanel and his relatives all signed the document and sealed it, it says, in verses 10 and 11 there. It says it was sealed. And then again in verse 11 it states according to the laws and the customs. And you know what that means? It means a transaction took place by both parties... And now it is a done deal. And that land is now in the possession of another one. It's a purchased possession. And it was sealed. It says that you and I are the purchased possession of the Lord God of heaven. The purchased price was the blood of Christ upon the cross. His life for ours. And when we accept that through faith, we become the purchased possession of God sealed with the covenant because both parties have agreed to the conditions. God said, believe in my son and thou shalt be saved. We said, I believe and have faith in your son. So now we have both signed a covenant agreement and the sealing of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we are the purchased possession of the God of heaven. How's that for a gift? 
Is that not wonderful? Does that not just make you think that I am the purchased possession and one day, just as the people came back to get their possession, God says, I'm going to come back and get you. I have gone to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. That when I come again, then I will take you to there. You are mine to the purchased possession of the praise and glory of God until the day of redemption, to the day I come and make that happen. But I have signed it, and I have sealed it, and you are mine. And why would God do that with an imbecile like me? To praise Him, to the praise of His glory and honor, it says right there. And you know what that means? That means, what did Jesus tell uh, Thomas? You know, the one we call doubting. He said, I'm not going to believe until I see. And when he saw, he said, Blessed are you that believing because you've seen. Blessed are all of you who without having seen, believe. Now this is three or four times I've been bringing this point out. Why? Because it goes to the praise and glory and honor of God. Because in this angelic conflict that we are in, Satan was in the heavenly realm with God walking to and fro and leading praise there. And he rebelled and the demons still refused to accept the authority of God. And he appeals his case that how can you send your creation to hell, to the fiery pit that Jesus said was created For the devil and his angels. And God said I will show you how. I will create somebody less than you. Man is created lower than the angels. They are dumber than you. They are not as good as you. And guess what? They most of them will never have seen me or my son. But they will believe. Because of my word. They will have faith in what I have said. And that proves me justified in doing to you what I said, the penalty of what you've done, because there will be people who have never seen me who will give their life for me by believing in my word. And so that brings glory and honor to God and his angels. And that's why the elect angels, every time someone becomes a Christian, it says they rejoice in heaven and God is glorified because his point is proven correctly of a lower creation without seeing will believe. And it says there, he is our, I want to hone on, on, on this word guarantee. This word guarantee there that says that the Holy Spirit is not only our seal, but he is our guarantee. That's the word aravon in the Greek language. Aravon. And you say, why, why do you have to tell us that? Because it's a special word. Not only does it sound pretty cool, but oh boy, this is a great word. Here's another Christmas gift that you have from God. This word for guarantee. We're going to do some isagogics. Isagogics just means studying the word and the time in which it was used so they knew what it meant. We don't nowadays. Aravon, at the time that this was written, meant earnest money. How many have bought a house and had to put earnest money 
down. Okay? Today, that earnest money can be so low that if you change your mind and they, they decide to keep it, you know, it don't really mean that much. In this time frame, Aravon means that I definitely want that. I am putting a lot of money down. It was over half. And I signed the contract that I want this. And it was basically a done deal. You have committed to doing it. That's why it's a guarantee. It was the Holy Spirit given to us is the earnest down payment that I'm coming back for you. I have given you my Holy Spirit as my promise, my earnest, my pledge that those who are in Christ who have believed in me, I am coming back for you. And not only that, here's the kicker. And this one's so cool. I didn't do this, but some of you probably did. And a lot of people do that and they flaunt it on TV. The, the stars do and stuff. But Aravon in the Greek, you go to someone today and say, show me your Aravon. And she'll go, look, my engagement ring. The word Aravon is the earnest. It's the pledge. It's the engagement ring. The body of Christ is what? The bride. We are betrothed to Jesus Christ. He is going to prepare that place after the custom of their weddings. But he's given us his ring. The engagement ring of his pledge to come back and get his bride. And that pledge is the Holy Spirit that we have that indwells us. It's your pledge that I am coming back. I am engaged to you. And it's my promise. Didn't I tell you it was great? These are blessings that we have today. And they're awesome. And then this promise is unbelievable, but it's true. And it's ours to wear every day. That spirit dwells within us. Your engagement ring is there for you every day. As a reminder of who you are. Now, the last part of verse 14 says, To the praise of His glory. Our faith is what glorifies God. And our betrothal and the way we act and the way we walk as His bride. Is Now look at 15. Let's, let's read the rest of this now. We've uncovered a bunch of gifts already, haven't we? We're just getting to the stocking stuffers. We've not gotten to the big ones now. Wait till, till you see the end. Therefore, verse 15, I also, after I have heard now of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you... What are we going to give? What's some gifts? The spirit of wisdom, the revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power 
toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when when he raised him from the dead. The resurrection is the power and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul says, I've got one prayer. If you could pray for somebody, what's your prayer? Paul says, here's my prayer for you. Here's what I want you to know. And I, it's my prayer too. Because I always say, nothing more important than the word of God. And understanding it for your life. It is the power of God unto our salvation. So let's dissect these gifts that we're getting here. First thing, rip the paper off. I thought about wrapping some gifts this morning and start ripping the paper. And off of this one, we pull out the spirit of wisdom and knowledge. That's his prayer. He wants us to have wisdom and knowledge of the word because it is what equips us for life. Now, a deeper knowledge to grow in the grace and knowledge of him, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his prayer goes further. Look, that the eyes of your understanding be opened. Yeah, this is, this is the big box, okay? It's the one that you saved for last because you know something special has got to be in it. I'm going to rip open this last box. Ooh, pair of eyes. Eyes of understanding be enlightened, okay? You know what the gift was that Jesus gave after his resurrection to the disciples for life? It says this in Luke 24, one of... One of your Berean chapters here in Luke 24 after his resurrection. He appears out of nowhere to the disciples. And he says in the midst of them and they're all frightened and dismayed. And he began to remind them of what? The word of God. All that was written of him in the prophets and the book of the law and the Psalms concerning him. And then Luke 24 and verse 45 says this. And Jesus opened the eyes of their understanding so that they could see all of these things revealed to them. That is the greatest gift. Is once you have believed and you've made the commitment and now you strive to grow and to get deeper and to learn. Now, he says, I pray that since you've reached that point, I pray that the eyes of your understanding begin to be opened fully to the knowledge of this and get to see. Verse 46, when Jesus opened their understanding, he says it was necessary. This is part of that understanding. That it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise again on the third day that repentance and remission of sins be preached in his name. What's Paul preaching right here? That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you will know the hope of his calling and the riches of your inheritance. And it's going to go on about the risen Christ. But get this. Look at the adjectives that the Holy Spirit's going to throw in here. I mean... He got excited when he tells about the gifts that he is bringing to you from God in your life. Look at what he says there. 
that you will be enlightened, know the hope of his calling, the riches of your inheritance, and the exceeding greatness of his power toward who you and I who believe. And it's a demonstration of the power and hope of our inheritance because he resurrected as well. And those adjectives are hyperbolon, megethos, dunamis. Hyperbolo, ball means ball. Hyper, to throw beyond. If I'm throwing to you, if you think God's this powerful, he's going to get it to me. Hyperbolon, he threw it into the ozone past you. That's exceeding. The power of God exceeds anything we can imagine. Hyperbolon. Megathos. Where we get mega, great, the magnitude. The exceeding great magnitude of what? Dunamis. Dynamite. Little sticks of dynamite can go into the side of a rock mountain and blow it apart. You can take a few in a place in a building downtown that's a hundred stories high and let it off and the building will crumble. You have within you by the power of the Holy Spirit, you who believe, you have got hyperbolon, megathos, dunamis. Exceeding great magnitude of power residing in your life for your daily walk of life. So that when things are down, when you think that you are low, when you are at your wit's end and I cannot go on. If you have the word of God within you and you have the Holy Spirit of mega power within you. He can take you from those ashes and raise you up. Because of his exceeding great power. That is the gift that you have in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Which God worked in Christ. The same power that he worked in Christ, it says, when he raised him up from the dead, works in you to raise you up in this life and in the afterlife. Why? Because when the eyes of your soul... Your understanding, the being of who you are really gets it. And you realize the greatness of your inheritance and the resurrection that you will have and all that it's going to be. When the eyes of your soul can really grasp that, your life changes. Nothing else matters. Let me give you an example of the power of the resurrection in a couple of lives. The disciples, after Jesus opened their eyes to the understanding and the necessity and the power of the resurrection, they went from mice to men, didn't they? Peter went from running and hiding and denying to standing there in Acts chapter 2 and preaching that first sermon. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, he's at the gate called Beautiful and he heals a man and they take him in and they want to put him in prison. They're going to beat you if you don't quit. And he says, I'm going to obey God rather than men, just like Daniel said. And whenever they did, he counted it greatness that he could suffer for. Life was changed when the eyes are opened to the power of the resurrection and what you have 
in Christ as a guarantee of your inheritance. Let me give you another one. Abraham. Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldees. In, in that time, that was the vogue hip city to be in. It was a big city. God saw faith in this man, taught him about that, and he says, now I want you to do something. I want you to go live in a tent the rest of your life in a wilderness. What? That don't make sense, does it? That don't make sense. I'm in a city. I could, I could evangelize for you here. He says, I want you Why did people build walls? Why was Jericho a walled city? Because walls were safety. It wasn't safe to be in a tent separated from thieves and robbers and people who want to do you harm by a couple of pieces of goat skin. That just ain't smart. To take you and your family to a wilderness where no one else is in a tent. God says, I'll protect you though. That's where I've called you to be. You're going to demonstrate your faith to everyone from now on by being in a tent like that right there in a wilderness instead of the city and in protection. Why? Listen to Hebrews chapter 11. It's the commentary of faith on this. It says this in verses 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he would receive As an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. But by faith. Trust. Full belief. He dwelt in a land of promise. As a foreign country. Dwelling in tents. With Isaac and Jacob. The heirs of him. Of the same promise. What's the promise? What gave him the power. To leave where he was at. And wander his life. In a wilderness. This same promise they had. He waited for the city which foundations and builder is God. What's that? Heavenly city, our new Jerusalem, the resurrection. He knew the power. His eyes were opened to the power of the resurrection and where you're going. Nothing else in life mattered. He obeyed and went and did. And you know what's... Note to parents and grandparents. It says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived in tents and believed this promise. You live it and you teach your kids and your grandkids to live it. You teach them about the promises. You teach them about glorifying God through the promises. Open their eyes to the inheritance, to the resurrection To the power and promise of God. Hand it down. And it says not only did Abraham dwell. But Isaac dwelt. And Jacob dwelt in tents. And you know what it says? Verse 15. If you keep going in that chapter. It says this. Verse 13. All of these died in faith. But none of them ever seen or received the actual promise. That's what verse 13 says. Their entire life. They lived it in faith of what God said about that power and that city to come, even though they never seen it. Isaac still saw what his dad had done and still lived in a tent. 
Jacob had heard from Abraham, Isaac, and he did the same thing. And by faith, he carried on that promise, that hope. It says this, they plainly declared the earth is not their home. It says they were seeking a homeland built by God. Verse 15 says they had freedom of choice. Verse 15 of Hebrews 11 there says they could have recalled that former life that they lived in that was ease, that was a city with walls and everything that they wanted. But it says that they didn't go back to that. It says I, they could have went back if they wanted to, but, verse 16, they desired something to come that was better, a heavenly country. They believed in the resurrection, so they continued. They knew this world is not my home. I am just a passing through. Then it says this at the end of verse 16 in that chapter. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. It glorifies Him when in faith you live that life of promise, that eyes opened to the believing that it's real and that's where I'm going. Now, as the worship team comes on up, that's some presence, isn't it? Isn't that some presence that you didn't know that you had that you got to open up today because you were here? I got one more for you. I got one more for you as they come up. This is my prayer for this body of Christ also. My prayer is that you will grow in the grace and knowledge of the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That you, you grow in knowledge, you grow in faith and in wisdom and that your eyes begin as you seek your eyes begin to be opened to all of his word and to this power. And that it is a promise. You've been sealed. He is going to keep his promise and come back and redeem you. But I pray something else. I pray that your eyes are enlightened. And here's your other present. You know what that word is for enlightened? Fotizo. Fotizo. It means to illuminate, but it means something else. It's where we get our word photograph. It's a picture. He says, I pray that it becomes so real to you. Heaven, the resurrection, my promises. I pray that it becomes so real that your mind can picture it. That you can see it. That it's so real because it is the real world, folks. It was here before this, and it's here after this. We are the temporary, not real world. He says, I want you to fotizo. I want your eyes and your mind, your cardia, it says, your heart, your, who you are, to be able to picture the greatness of the inheritance that you have. And when you do... You will never fall back. You will never be despaired because you know that God has not forgotten. I've got his engagement ring. I've got his guarantee. And he is giving me a picture of what I have inherited. And that's why it became real to those folks of old. And that's why Abraham and then his son Isaac and then his son Jacob 
could live in stinking tents in a hot wilderness because heaven was real and their resurrection to that new place whose city is God's was real. Because they've seen your faith. Share it with your kids, the Isaacs, our little Isaacs and our little Jacobs that are running around up here. Share it with them so that their eyes can picture you. Picture heaven. Picture their inheritance with you. That is my prayer for all of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this exciting, exceedingly great and precious promises of reality that you have just given us. Thank you for this gift. Father, we, we're unworthy, but we love you. And we thank you. And we pray that we can then be to your praise and glory and honor and fulfill your plan. And may it, it also be to all of our Isaacs and our Jacobs, our little ones, handed down. May, you, may faith become real to us, Father. May the resurrection be real. May we be able to picture it. When it does, it changes lives. And we ask this and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.